Philip Yancey wrote, What's Heaven For? He said this, My pastor decided to pull a vacation surprise on his four children. We're going to Junction City, Kansas, he told them. It's where my dad used to pastor a church. We can have lots of fun there. Meanwhile, he had made secret plans to spend an afternoon there and drive on to Disney World. Ever trusting his children, bragged to skeptical friends, we are going to Kansas for vacation. It's great. All during the long drive from Denver to Junction City, Peter kept up morale, describing the wondrous awaiting them playgrounds, a swimming pool, ice cream stands, and a bowling alley. After touring Granddad's old church, the kids were ready to check into a motel and go swimming, and their dad dropped the bombshell. You know something? It's boring here in Kansas. Why don't we drive to Disney World? Mom reached in a bag, pulled out four custom-made Mickey Mouse hats. Peter thought the kids would jump up and down. Instead, they said, who wants to get back in the van? What about the swimming pool? You promised, and I thought we were going bowling. The great surprise backfired. For the next few hours, Peter sat behind the steering wheel and smoldered at his children, expanded on all the advantages of Junction City over Disney World. Never one to miss a theological opportunity, Peter was reminded of the words of C.S. Lewis who wrote, We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and pleasure and ambition, when infinite joy is offered us. Like a foolish child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea, we are far too easily pleased. We want to talk about something that Jesus said about himself and something that Daniel said about Jesus and talk about how that can lead us to a much deeper walk in Christ so that we are not so far easily pleased by external things or things that don't meet our true expectations. Let's talk about something amazing here. One of the most important, if not the most important statement in all of history, John 19.30, Jesus said from the cross, it is finished. But we're going to see what Daniel said about that it is finished statement. And every hope and dream and every answer, everything that you ever have a question for, it's all wrapped up in that statement that it is finished. But let's see what Daniel had to say about what that meant. Let me remind you of a, a fascinating psychological study. And what they did is they asked people, what do you think the most exciting thing would be to have happen? And the number one answer, win the lottery. They said, what do you think the most frightening thing would be? Number one answer, to be paralyzed. So they studied lottery winners and people that were paralyzed in an accident. And what they did is they came back a year later to say which group was happier, lottery winners or people that were paralyzed. And the great surprise was neither. Those who had won the lottery a year later were at the same happiness level they were before they won the lottery. It was an exciting thing for a few months. After that, it wore off. Those who had been paralyzed and for the first few months thought, my life will never recover, I'll never be happy again, found that they recovered that happiness. And a year after the accident, they were as happy as they were before the accident. Incredible study that shows very powerfully it's not about what happens to us, it's about what happens within us. And the great hope everybody has, whatever they label it, is though for perfect peace, what Jesus offered. And he offers that summed up in that statement that it is finished. Now, before we look at Daniel's words, 
Let's look at something Paul says because Daniel, it says it in his book as well. Philippians 4, 6, Paul says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. Prayer and supplication. This might be the most important part that some will hear today is what is supplication. The reason it's important is now Paul said it. If you go back to Daniel, Daniel 9, we're told this. While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and presenting my supplication before the Lord, notice what happens. Gabriel, the angel, who I had seen in a vision, said to me, Daniel, at the beginning of your supplication, the command went forth. The command was to show him the vision of Christ. So when did that happen though? It did not happen when he was praying. It happened when he reached supplication. So what is supplication? Prayer is the the life of a believer. And prayer can be worship. It could be interceding. It could be saying, God, here's my need. It could just be saying, thank you. We say grace. All these things are very much a part of prayer. But supplication is something different. Supplication, the word itself, means to kneel and make a request as in begging. Not begging in the sense of a beggar, but is in pleading and desperation. Supplication, whether it's physically to be on your knees or just spiritually in your heart on your knees, is different as a type of prayer because supplication is saying... I'm at the end of my rope. It is not my needs. It is not my will. It is I just want all of you, God. Your will be done. Here is my entire life. Paul would say it's about becoming that living sacrifice. Supplication is to bow before God and say, you know what, God? Less of me, more of you. And when we reach that point, everybody prays, not everybody reaches supplication. My challenge for each of us is to say, let's start reaching more into our lives to be at that place of supplication. Knelt before God saying, it is you I want in all things. When Daniel reached that place, his people had been in captivity in Babylon. They were all praying. Daniel got to the place of supplication, knelt before God, complete surrender, pleading. It's all I want is you. Ignatius, the first century, a student and a friend of the Apostle John. He was brought before trial for sharing his faith. He was offered, recant your faith, and you'll receive a prestigious position in our community. Here's what Ignatius said as he then was martyred. I would rather die for Christ than rule the whole earth. That is a place of reaching supplication. All I want is Christ. So, as Daniel reached that place, he's about to be given a revelation of Christ. Steve Deneff, who wrote Soul Shift, said, you know, when he did really well one year in middle school, his dad took him to a store, walked in. He said his dad waved his hand and said, for doing so well in school, you can have anything you want in this whole store. And Steve said he had wanted a specific music album. So he went right to the music section, picked up the album, said, this is what I want. And his dad said, absolutely, $20. Years later, he said, I learned a tremendous lesson in life. He and his dad talked about that moment. And his dad said, I want you to understand something. I had in my pocket that night 
$1,000, ready to give it all. And Steve said, you know what? That is the struggle that we face as believers. God offers this tremendous picture that it is finished and we settle and just expect just spiritual crumbs. We need to take on the fullness of the promise of Christ and come into this walk with Him and understand more deeply what it is to be in supplication and understand what it means to know it is finished. So let's go to Daniel 9, starting at verse 24. We're going to skip past this first part pretty quick, but it's a well-known prophecy. And here it is, 70 weeks are determined for you and your people. And the 70 weeks, just really briefly, a week means seven years, seven times 70, 490 years. Daniel is being given a revelation, 490 years from this event that he's told about will be the crucifixion. So if you go 490 years from the event Daniel is seeing, you arrive at AD 33. It's important to understand that people knew all this was going to happen. Go back to that first century, that first year, and you'll find what? Anna, where? In the temple. Why? She knew Messiah would soon be born. He had to be born soon if he would die in 33 AD. Same thing for Simon. He waited, saw Mary and Joseph, said, now my eyes have seen the promise. I can go forth in peace. The Magi, why'd they show up? They saw all the signs. And what did Herod say? There's another king. And what'd they do? They brought him scripture. Said, yes, the scriptures proclaim. We are in that time frame. Messiah would be born. Daniel sees not the birth, but the revelation of the cross. 490 years go by. Brings us to 33 AD when Christ would die. But here's the thing. The rest of that verse says this. Four things that happen in that it is finished. Daniel says, he will finish transgression, make an end of sins, make reconciliation for iniquity, and bring in everlasting righteousness. Let's talk about that first one. Finish, you'll notice, the transgression. The transgression. It is singular. What is the transgression? What does Paul say in Romans? By one man, Adam, sin, singular, entered the world. Jesus puts a finish to that transgression. The transgression, the fall. And now as children of Adam, we all have inherited that fall. Except for now in Christ, he finished that transgression by breaking its hold over us. What does Paul say? While we were powerless, unable to help ourselves, Christ died for us, the ungodly. Where did Adam lose the battle against the enemy? In the garden. Where did Jesus gain the victory over the enemy? In the garden. He brought an end to that transgression that had the power over our lives. In the 1800s, Edward Hale, the chaplain of the Senate, said this, I am one, but I am one. I cannot do everything, but I can do something. What I can do, I ought to do, and what I ought to do, by the grace of God, I shall do. How can we do what we ought to do? Because that transgression, the fall, Christ broke that curse. And now we can do the things that we ought to do, not because of our religion or because we're good, but because of Christ himself our offering. The second thing Daniel says is he will make an end 
to sins, plural. Now he's talking about our sins. First, he broke the hold of Adam's fall, and then he breaks our sins. Andy Stanley said it like this, When he died on the cross for our sins, God declared that was the time Messiah would put an end to the tyranny of sin. The end of the tyranny of sin. What a great statement. Now, sins no longer hold us captive. Doesn't mean we don't still have problems in our life and sin, but it's not the hold over our life. It doesn't define us. We are defined by Christ. Many know I used to teach life skill classes and do casework and counseling in correctional facilities. What you might find surprising is many of the people in those facilities, they'll share very openly. They prefer to stay in prison. Why? big part of that reason is they had this idea. One day I will be released from prison and then things will be perfect. What happens though? They go home, some fight with their family or worse, get ignored by their family. They have financial obligations now. They have to start a new job working their way up. The friends they thought were going to be there aren't there. Suddenly what they thought was going to be so great, when they get out, they find it's anything but great. And so they go back to the old way of life. So it is in our life. We get caught up in sins and they seem so appealing. And there's the challenge to live with the sacrifice, the supplication to say, not my will, but yours be done. And many people say, I'd rather just live with that sin reigning over me then live a life of sacrifice. That's the prison. That's the challenge. Don't get caught up in that prison. He has broken that transgression and he has paid for those sins so we don't have to be in a prison any longer. The next verse in Daniel, he will make reconciliation for iniquity. Paul would say that our sins have separated us from God, but now in Christ we have been reconciled. Our sins no longer separate us. What does that mean? Paul says now we can cry, Abba, Father. Come boldly to that throne with our requests and our needs and know love that is perfect, higher than the heavens are above the earth and have no more fear because there's nothing separating us any longer from God. Charles Ellicott years ago said this, the prophet now brings out another side of the subject There is an abundance of forgiveness in store for those who receive it. An abundance of forgiveness. That's the power of it is finished. You go back to 1732. There was a wealthy landowner in Moravia, 3,000 slaves. Some evangelists wanted to come to his private island, share the gospel. He said, if any preacher shows up on this island... I will lock him up. So two believers said, then we'll sell ourselves into slavery. We'll become your slaves willingly so they could live with these other men, share the gospel with them. These two German believers then got on a boat, started to paddle away from shore, final goodbyes to their families who would never see them again. As they got out past the shore, those two men stood up in the boat, lifted their hands in the air and said, May the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. May the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. 
Those men did share the gospel. They eventually got free and went on to share as missionaries in other countries. But since that day, 1732, today, a number of mission agencies have that as their motto, their mission statement. May the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. That's what it is to know that we have been reconciled back to God in Christ and he is our life. Last thing Daniel says is he brings in, notice, everlasting righteousness. There's not a soul in all of history that could do such a thing except for Christ alone. He, the eternal one, can bring in that everlasting righteousness. Not living that now, go back to that time of supplication and say, let me, God, become that living sacrifice to know that I am holy in you and Christ has now given me everlasting righteousness. A.B. Simpson put it like this, the gospel tells rebellious men that to God they are reconciled, justice is satisfied, sin atoned for, judgment of the guilty revoked, condemnation of the sinner canceled, curse of the law blotted out, the gates of hell closed, the portals of heaven opened wide, the power of sin subdued, the guilty conscience healed, the broken heart comforted, and the sorrow and misery of the fall undone. What does Daniel say? 70 weeks are determined for your people and your holy city to finish transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness. As Jesus said, it is finished. We're going to close here with a prayer by Floodgate as we celebrate and rest in perfect peace. It is finished. All are invited. Come all who are tired. Come all who are pushing through. Come all who are hopeful. All are invited. Come. Come all who are filled with regret. Come all whose health is failing. Come all whose relationships are falling apart. All are invited. Come. Come all who are filled with dreams for the future. Come all who feel alone. Come all who are exhausted and out of breath. All are invited. Come. Be loved. Be welcomed. Be embraced. Be found. Be seen. Be forgiven. 
be disrupted, be surrendered, be curious, be human, be authentic, be present, be here, be open, be yourself. All are invited. You are invited. Just come. <laughs>